where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. I'm John. And I'm James. And we've got a good episode today, James. I think it, uh, it sort of summarises us. Fools and their money. Fools and their money. We're at least fools, <laughs> I think. And their money is a uh, jury's out on that. Well, yeah, I'm not I'm not making as big bets as, as this episode, as we'll discover later on. Welcome to Fools and Their Podcast. This week, cheers. What a good addition it would be, though. Fools and their money podcast. <laughs> Cheers edition. I mean, that's kind of what this is. This episode aired on the 19th of December, 1985, and it was written by Heidi Perlman, of course directed by Jimmy B. James Burroughs. The visionary of Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. As this is written by Heidi Perlman, we get no surprises, at least with the cold open, which is, of course, a uh, Carla-centred cold opening, obviously played by Rhea Perlman, Heidi Perlman's sister. And she's taking an order, flirting... Either way. A little of column A, a little of column B. What have you got? Anything you want. I'll bet you do. Why don't you tell me? Maybe you'd like to see a menu. Nah, I don't need one. I know what I want. We talking about the same thing? (laughs) I think so. And they continue this kind of, what would you call it, innuendo. Yeah. And it goes on for a while, and then he just whispers his drink order in her ear, and she just goes, oh, and <laughs> and leaves, and is a bit bored, and then just goes, oh, he's teasing me. <laughs> it's, a, it's quite a nice Carla moment. We don't see many of them. I like playful Carla. Sometimes she's quite mean-spirited, but other times she, she is quite playful. A similar cold opener was maybe a while back now, where it was uh, someone was asking her out, and she's just sort of listed all the things that he was going to try, and what stereotypical things he would try on. But then she was like, no, listen here, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. These aren't complaints, these are demands. Not much to do with the rest of the episode. Not at all to do with the rest of the episode. But nevertheless, a, a nice cold opening. Shall we move on to what the main episode is about? There's two plots, I suppose. Well, I say there's a plot and a sequence of events. Which would you like to start with? The set of the plot to begin with, which is where we get the title from. Of course, comes from the phrase, fools and their money are soon parted, which gives us an idea of how this episode is going to go. And it all begins with a football match on the TV. Yes, exactly. Good old football, the ball of foot and people placing wagers on them. Friendly bets. Exactly. I bet there'll be a touchdown, for example. This is a couple of weeks into the league, so there's been a couple of games, and one person has been sort of ruling the betting ring, Mr Woodrow Boyd. And he's doing well. He doesn't really have a strategy, and it reminds me of when Diane would place bets purely dependent on what mascots they had, or colours. It's a good system, though. And Woody's doing it by instinct, really. He seems to be going... Mm, I think it's this one. And he's winning just based on instinct. No mathematical leanings, not even any thought pattern like Diane. He just goes, I think it's this one. He doesn't know why. Something subconscious. Either way, his non-strategy is working. And everyone in the bars, they're pretty happy for him, you know. No one's got a grudge because they're just friendly bets. They start talking about if he went to a bookie, then he might be coming up big. Yeah, and they're really quite... um wary of talking about a bookie they're like yeah i know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy and that guy might know a guy who's a bookie maybe and i'm going like was betting illegal because bookies in the uk they're not illegal you just have to be over a certain age and you need a license and a business but yeah i don't know a bit weird for whatever reason bookies are seem to be uh, illegal not something i was aware of but it's very much uh, i know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy and it turns out that sam knows a guy 
Um, Woody asks if Sam can put a bet down for him for the next couple of games. Yeah. Sam's happy to do until uh, Woody picks who he wants to bet on and also says he wants to bet £1,000. $1,000. Yeah, $1,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> haven't made that mistake for quite a while. Yeah, and it's interesting. And originally, Sam tries to talk him out of it, talk him out of betting. And he goes, no, no, I'm not going to place your bet for you. And we've got a new character. I'll talk about the characters in a bit. But Paul goes, I'll go and do it. And then Sam goes, no, no I'll do it here. Better keep it in the family. Which I thought was a nice touch, referring to him as family. But yeah, so let's talk about the players. Can I throw a wild guess? Is Paul played by someone called Paul? Yes, but it's a different Paul. It's not Paul from the early seasons who always argued with Cliff and supported FedEx. New Paul. This is Paul Wilson as Paul. He previously appeared as Greg in season one, episode 20, Someone Single, Someone Blue, and Tom in season two, episode two, Little Sister, Don't Ya? So he might be one of triplets. <laughs> and one of these triplets sang the Bonanza theme. But is this the, that? That's Paul. Paul Wilson. Uh, but this time he's playing Paul. Previously he was Greg or Tom. What a versatile actor. What's on your resume? Well, I played uh, Greg in Cheers. I played Tom in, in Cheers, and I've played. And this was the most strange. I played Paul in in Cheers. And what's your first name again? Paul. <laughs> Amongst many others, makes many more. Uh, we've also got Kelsey Grammer as Doctor Fraser Crane, Arthur Taxier as Frank. He also appeared in MASH, Knight Rider, Hunter, Family Ties, The A-Team, Hill Street Blues, 21 Jump Street, St. Elsewhere, Doogie Howser, MD, Midnight Caller, The X-Files, Donnie Darko, Six Feet Under, and many others. Paul, he's also got under his resume. He also played Winston Churchill. Just add that to the mix. We've also got Al Rosen as Al. Paul has also played Guy at Blackjack Table. Just saying. Guy at Blackjack Table, Churchill. And he's just your average Greg, Tom and Paul. The new version of Tom, Dick and Harry. We've talked about the main plot a bit and we've mentioned Frasier. Should we talk about his plot or what's going on with Frasier in this episode? He's back. He's back and he's, he says he's over Diane. He's fine. He's feeling good. He's not a janitor anymore in, the, in Cheers. No, he seems to have recovered, which is good. Don't know if he has his practice back, but he's no longer a janitor. He's feeling so good. He's thinking about going on some travels. Yes, exactly. To just prove how good he's feeling about his travels, he invites Diane to them. Of which, of course, she says no, and then he, like, snaps. <laughs> I've been putting off telling you something, but I feel I, I must now. You've been using the word really far too frequently. In fact, it's become really noticeable. It's, it's really quite maddening, really. And then he just becomes very sort of spiteful. He criticises her grammar. You might say her Kelsey grammar. You probably won't say, but you might say. It's wordplay, you know, much like how Frasier hates Diane playing with her words. That's what I was doing. Okay, so as an example. Let's go with that. You said that this story point is uh, more made up of a, a sequence of different moments. Yeah, he criticises her grammar and then he feels guilty for doing this and then leaves and he goes off on a trip somewhere to, I uh, believe, the Canadian tundra. Some kind of fishing trip? Yeah, the Nova Scotian tundra. And when he's there with all the cold, you know, perhaps him fearing for his life, he was like, oh, I've been bad today. And then he comes back and gives this big speech about he's come to his senses. Then she expresses gratitude, but in expressing gratitude, she makes a grammatical mistake. I'm here to tell you that I've just spent the most painful week of my entire life. I was ice fishing in sub-zero degree temperatures in Nova Scotia. I don't think I could have stood it for another minute, but, you know, it was worth it. Because every iota of pettiness in me was left back on that frozen tundra. So I'm here just to ask you to please forgive me. 
Apology accepted. Incomplete sentence. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's just a full circle. What's that called when when everything ends up back where how it was in the beginning? Full equilibrium. Inconsequential. Yeah. Well, it's something that is a staple of television writing, particularly comedies. Recently, it's been explored in what's been described as the Dan Harmon story circle. But if you look at Futurama, even then, and Fry, he grew up watching TV shows in the 80s and 90s, much like Cheers, for example. And he has said the secret of any TV show is that at the end of an episode, everything is back to where it was at the beginning and little has changed. There's some wisdom in that. And there sure is. And I guess we can actually follow that through into the return of the main part of this episode when we revisit Woody's bet. Because everyone's waiting for Woody to return to the bar because his bets come in big. Oh, he won $10,000 is the stake that he won in the bet. He must be pretty good at betting. Yes, I think so. It was a compound bet, if I believe. Mm. Betting on numerous things happening as opposed to the outcome of just one event. It was like a string of games. You a betting man, John? I, I used to go to the casino a bit. Oh, and the Grand National, James. Oh, Grand National, a big old horse race. I've never won. Now, me and my family, we bet at home. You know, we didn't go to the Grand National, you know, we could, we oh, could no, bet at home. Oh no, we didn't go. <laughs> yeah. We can get money off each other without leaving the sofa. We could win money that way. I don't think I've ever got the first. I think I've got like the horse which came third. Though I have won money at a dog track a couple of times. We went to the dog track for my granddad's birthday many years ago and I won some money there. I think I, you know, used the money to buy a set of crayons. That's how many years ago it was. Good two years ago. <laughs> Just going to draw something for the podcast. There we go. Oh no, it's melted in the sun. How is it melted? Crayons? Wax, yeah. You ever left a red crayon on a radiator? I don't think it melts your drawings, though, does it? It can if it's warm enough. If you leave a red crayon on the radiator, it looks like a Tarantino film. Noted. I won't be doing that then. Life lessons. I feel the older I'll get, the more I'll become Grandpa Simpson from The Simpsons. <laughs> just spouting what I think is sage advice, but actually just nonsense. I mean, you did just give the advice. Don't leave wax crayons on a radiator. Good advice. Can't argue with it. I mean, I can't argue with it, but I've also never done it without being given that advice previously. But anyway, here's a, here's a piece of advice. If you want to put a bet down, put it down yourself and don't leave it to someone else. Yes. And why is that, James? Because you're in control of your own actions and your own money. Be financially independent. You can't guarantee that they're actually going to put the bet down for you. Yeah, people lie sometimes. Which is exactly what Sam did when he didn't put Woody's £1,000 bet down and didn't win £10,000. But Sam hasn't told anyone. Sam hasn't told anyone and they were like, when's the money guy coming? Sam said he knew a guy. I bet it's the money guy coming here to give Woody his money. This is the moral dilemma of the episode, I guess, is Sam doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to come clean to Woody. That's true. Yeah, it poses the question of what we do in such situation. I think I would be quite upfront and say, I didn't make the bet, but you didn't lose any money because the money you were going to put down here it is. Give the money back to Woody because he wouldn't have lost anything. He just would not have gained anything. Be a bit angry. But, you know, if I gave money to someone and went, place a bet for me and they didn't, I'd be like, I'm a bit annoyed, but I, I haven't lost anything. Do you know what I'd do? No. I would put £500 bet on. And then if they lose, they got half their money. If they win, they got half their winnings. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah. You can't go wrong. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. That's some advice for you. It's not mine. I can't claim it. It's Kenny Rogers. 
God rest his soul. So who does Sam turn to in his hour of need? Of course he turns to Diane, the voice of reason in the bar. She tells him he has to be truthful. She kind of scrapes it out with, with Woody. And she approaches Woody as like, money isn't everything. It doesn't buy happiness. Money can't buy you happiness nor love, Woody. It's a sad, sad truth of this urban world, you young farm boy. I can't tell if you're quoting or, or is that you? <laughs> That's me just being wistful. But it is relevant to what Woody talks about in his argument with Diane or to Diane. He says that he knows it doesn't buy happiness or because he's already got those things. What it does buy his dreams. You see, it's just that my family never had a lot of money. And still my folks were always making sacrifices for us kids, especially my mom. I remember something she used to say to me. She'd say, Woody, hold on to your dream. I lost mine, but I want yours to come true. It always made me sad to think of what mom gave up for us. What was your mom's dream? To be a drummer in a power trio. <laughs> Her big hero was Ginger Baker and Cream. Whenever we'd walk by the music store in town, she'd just stare and stare at the Ludwigs in the window. I knew even though she was standing in front of Keller's music that in her head she was up on some stage banging out the solo and toad. Put it on the playlist. It's on the list. <laughs> it's one of our first instrumentals because it is a drum solo. And that's going to be a nice break in the Spotify playlist when everyone's... When you're tired of words. <laughs> <laughs> just listen to drums. <laughs> But that's what Woody's going to do with the money. He's going to buy his mum a drum kit. A 10 grand drum kit. I mean, some drum kits could go up to that. Uh, the drum kit for Rush, for example. Uh, I'm not sure if this was the drum kit or external apparatus, but you don't know. Maybe Woody's mum wanted to add stuff to the drum kit. Tommy Lee played his drums upside down in a concert or a few, where he was strapped to the drum kit, strapped to the seat, and then the drum kit got suspended from the ceiling and he played it upside down. That's intense. Yeah. yeah, James, I found a drum kit which is eight grand. That's quite expensive. And the, the most expensive drum kit to ever been sold was 2,100,000. Do you know why? Uh, it's made from gold. No, it's none other than Ringo Starr's drum kit, James. Really? Yeah. Oh. Have you heard the story of, I believe it was Rainbow. With the Zippy. band Rainbow. Oh. Uh, Rainbow, you know, who I remember is in Deep Purple and whatnot, where they put gunpowder inside their drum kit. <laughs> And it exploded. See, that, that story would only be better if it was zippy on drums. Well, I've never thought of putting gunpowder in, in a drum kit, but you learn something new every day. Should we move back to Cheers? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Some music history. It just sets up the scene of the episode. Eventually, Sam does come clean to Woody. There's quite a nice scene where he, he explains why he didn't place the bet. And it shows that sort of mentor character that Sam's sort of taken over Woody, where Sam's slowly becoming the new coach. Yes. It's interesting you bring that up because it will be uh, relevant as this episode gets even closer towards its conclusion. But I think you're certainly right. I think where Coach was a surrogate father to Sam, I think Sam has taken on an older brother role to Woody. He says uh, he was trying to take care of him the way Coach used to take care of him. But he also does say uh, it worked out just about as well, which also scares the hell out of him. I mean, isn't that what parents are like? <laughs> From what I've heard, I don't have children. From what I've heard, parenting is scary because this thing enters your life and you're meant to take care of it. And you're going, I've not done this before. Help. <laughs> that seems to be the consensus. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that as well. Woody <laughs> takes it all fairly well, though. He says that it's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for him. Which is quite nice. He's lovably naive, is Woody. 
Yeah, which is, uh, you know, it's nice. Sam, Sam's a bit frustrated that Woody doesn't get angry. Yeah, be angry at me. I lost you $10,000 pounds. <laughs> but yeah, so they have a bit of a spat because Woody then shouts at him. He wants his car. Basically, Woody says, no, you don't want to, then tries to quit because he shouted at Sam. That's good. That's good. You're angry Oh, now. you bet I am. I'm going to go pack my bags. Oh, no, wait, wait a second. What do you want? What do you mean? Well, you're my boss and I yell at you. I can't stick around. (laughs) That was just a little yelling. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, as you've said, it goes into a kind of negotiating thing. Would he ask for a raise and Sam goes, no, no, that's not enough. I've lost more than that. And as you say, it gets up to his Corvette. And Sam goes, are you crazy? Come on, man. (laughs) What I do like there, and as you hinted, James, it does uh, end in quite a nice way. We do get a callback to Coach in how he would always resolve things with Sam. Yeah, and I could picture Coach doing this and it was lovely. The best way to do it is probably just uh, play the clip of how Coach would resolve problems with Sam. Coach was a great peacemaker. He had this little trick. He'd, uh, you know, after a big fight, he'd make us put our arms around each other and sing Home, Home on the Range. (laughs) Uh, sounds pretty silly, huh? Yeah. Well, do it for me anyway. Come on, Woody. Come on. Yeah, there you go. Uh, coach used to stir me out on the first few notes. <laughs> oh, give me a home where the buffalo roam and the deer and the antelope play. Sing half an hour. Coach said that if you could sing Home on the Range with a man for half an hour, you couldn't possibly hold a grudge. And what's really lovely about it, James, is everyone else in the bar is familiar with it and joins in as well. Yeah, it's a classic song. I do like the sing songs and cheers. We've had a few of them. We've had this. We've had White Cliffs of Dover. You'll never walk alone. Always time for a sing song and cheers. As noted before, particularly recently, all of this episode takes place in the bar. We never see a scene outside of the bar, and it's quite a character-driven episode because of that reason. There's the trivia bar, James. That only means one thing. It means we've got questions. Questions about this episode. What does the customer in the cold open want? Uh, apart from Carla, um, a scotch and a soda. Fraser mocks Diane and criticises her throughout this episode. But what is a nickname Fraser gives her? Little Miss something. Miss God's gift to men. He was being ironic, obviously. In this episode, when Sam's trying to buy some time before he has to give the money that he does not have back, says the old expression. What's that expression, James? Is it? It's when you win a bet, you never get paid for eight days. And he claims it's an old Irish expression, which clearly it isn't. I mean, it's not really an expression because it doesn't rhyme. Uh, That's true. Interesting, though, because I think Malone is an Irish surname, is it not? Yeah, but Boston area as well. When they're talking about going to a bookie, they claim it is part of a men's rite of passage into maturity. But what is the triple, according to Norm? I remember they were saying something about, something about cats, <laughs> but that's all I can remember. According to Norm, the triple of a men's rite of passage into maturity is going to a cat house, whizzing off a balcony, and mooning off the back of a car. And you, you don't have to be a genius to guess what that means. Disappointed in you, Norm. <laughs> Sam offers to pay back the bet $1 a week, which would obviously be 10,000 weeks. But how many years is that? I would guess 194, 195. 192. I was pretty close. I was wrong, but I was pretty close. Yeah, some good maths. 
Who was Woody's mum's big hero? What was the name of Woody's mum's hero? Ginger. Yes, Ginger Baker is the drummer from Cream. That's the last call at the bar, James. It's been a good episode. I think this season has been the most consistent. Yeah, I'd agree. I think uh, Woody's come through for the season. I think he's given episodes like this one which focus on him. They've given some really good stories. They've been able to play with the characters a bit more, develop Sam's character a lot more with the introduction of Woody, which has been nice to see. Oh, Sammy's growing up, John. (laughs) Some themes that we recognise in this episode, I guess, is uh, friendship, dreams, that's in it. Trust. Trust, yeah. Maybe a bit of a class divide. Yeah, there's a bit of that there. You mix it all together, you get a good episode. Mix it together like a delicious cocktail. Hmm. Like scotch and a soda. Uh, you know, you read my mind, James. Uh, that's going to be our drink for today. As we raise our scotch and soda, what, what do you want to cheers to? What's your toast? Ginger Baker <laughs> for inspiring people across many generations to follow their dreams. Follow their drums. Follow your drums, everyone. Yeah, I can do it. A toast to that, to the, the drummers out there. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers Podcast. Cheers.